Hello! I am so excited. As usual, you have joined the Super Women Can podcast. I have an amazing guest that's come on today. And before I introduce her, let me remind you what the Super Women Can podcast is all about. So we all know that women are spinning lots and lots of plates from raising families to climbing the career ladder and hitting the concrete. Yes, the concrete ceiling. But there's one thing that sets us apart. And you are right, we're all super women. And super women, we show up in our full authentic selves because we know that super women can. So every individual who is invited onto this podcast is here to show us how successful that they are, how they got there, so they can encourage you to be your own version of success too. I cannot wait to introduce you to Maggie Chen, Maggie, please, without further ado, introduce yourself. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. So my name is Maggie Chen and I work in the space of entrepreneurship on different levels. Um, firstly, I run my own businesses. So I started my first business when I was a fresh at university um, working in the space of dancewear and, you know, being 18 at the time, I called it shut up and dance. Um, <laughs> Because that was also the number one number one single out at the, at the time. <laughs> um, so from that moment on, I really loved the space of entrepreneurship and startups. So ended up adding more to the business portfolio. And I also run an education company. Today, we're here mostly to talk about the nonprofit social enterprise that I run called Girls in Charge, which helps women build confidence and entrepreneurial skills through gamification. Aside from that, I also work in the space of entrepreneurship in terms of academia. I'm currently doing a PhD, as well as policy where I look at regional economic policy to help businesses and young people flourish. Wow, you are impressive. I love this. I don't know where to start. You are, you've not got a business, you have businesses and <laughs> enterprise. And you hear that right. A PhD, she's doing a PhD. What year are you in in your PhD? Third. So one more year to go. <laughs> ah, congratulations. Just the, you're at the last, the, 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 the cliffhanger. You're nearly there. Yeah exactly I, I love economics so I, I did a degree uh it well I did a degree in business and finance so the economics one was my favorite I just enjoyed it so much I can't imagine doing it at PhD level no <laughs> I don't think but you know I just yeah it's just I just can't wrap my head around that I've got six children so I think that they're my PhD now <laughs> <laughs> definitely that that takes a lot more dedication <laughs> I, I really want to I really want you to talk about there's so many strands there to talk about but do talk about your social enterprise a little bit more because I'm interested that it sounds like an amazing initiative yeah so like I said when I started my first business you know I was still at university and by the second year of running that business with no background in it you know I was studying languages and cultures I had no business knowledge it just happened by accident uh -huh. and by the second year I got onto the student accelerator program but what I realized was that I was one of about 40 in the cohort, but the only girl in the cohort. 
And the mentors that were coming in week after week were mostly male. I think one woman came in and it just felt kind of isolated. It it wasn't that the guys were mean to me. It just, you know, you, you just feel different. So in my third year of university, I decided to push myself out of my comfort zone to do the thing I absolutely hate, which is public speaking. And Mm. I started sharing my story of how I started this business at university to my peers. And after every single talk I did, young women, my peers, most of whom were studying business, came up to me to say, what you're doing is amazing. I would never be able to do that. And instead of taking the compliment, I said, why? Uh, Why do you think that way? And it turns out, you know, there were many reasons that built up to this level of self-doubt. First, first reason I heard many times over was I don't have the personality for it. What does that even mean? Which is very interesting. And the second point was, oh, I don't have a brilliant idea. And I'm like, well, have you tried to think of an idea? Because they don't just randomly appear. You got to put effort into it um, and then the third one was fine fine even if I had an idea I wouldn't know where to begin I would reply have you heard of this thing called Google <laughs> because it has so much information on there I'm sure there will be a starting point if you really got there so what I realized was there was a lack of support lack of knowledge lack of skills and a lack of community particularly for young women starting out in their career journeys to build entrepreneurial skills, whether they take those skills to then start a business or go into industry, that doesn't matter. It's the skills part that is important because once we build up those skills, we will be able to use them in all sorts of scenarios, all sorts of industries. But when you don't have those skills, you begin to kind of build up that self-doubt and amplify those voices in your head. And that's kind of how Girls in Charge was born. And because I was at uni, I didn't want to give more lectures, nor would I have wanted to go to more lectures after my lectures. We decided to do it in the most fun possible way because we learned and played as children. Why couldn't we do that as adults? That was basically the inception of Girls in Charge. That is incredible. Honestly, I'm just in awe of all your achievements. Absolute awe. So I think that's a fantastic initiative. And how many women or girls have you put through your girls in charge? Would you say at this point? Currently just over 5,000 beneficiaries across four countries. So it's been a very interesting and absolutely fascinating journey. So how do you do it now? Obviously, you're in uni, you did loads of stuff. I'm guessing that was in person. Do you move this on to the online? I'm guessing if it's global now, onto the online platform. We do a hybrid because I I think for many organizations as well, COVID changed the way we work. So pre-COVID, everything was offline. We trained student leaders to deliver in different campuses so that we are able to amplify our impact. But Since COVID, we also have an online program to just boost that. And the brilliant thing about having the program online is that not only are we reaching different campuses, these students at different locations from from different backgrounds are able to meet each other. So 
I had an email a few months ago from a participant two years ago, you know, during the pandemic, who'd made a really good friend in Britain, and she was based in the Netherlands. And that was just through the program. So it's been fantastic in terms of international communication and, you know, just building up those support networks as well. Wow. So that's skills in charge. I'm looking forward to going to find out more about that. And I would encourage those who are listening, we will put links below anyway, but we would encourage you to go check that out. I think it's an awesome initiative. Now, thanks for sharing about that. I'm interested now about you. I want to know more about you. Tell us, uh, tell us more about who you are. Well, I was, (laughs) I was born in China and Up to the age of eight, I lived in a busy, dynamic city called Chengdu, which is home to spicy food and pandas. And in the summer I was eight, I was, I guess, plunged into the Yorkshire countryside in Britain. (laughs) And, you know, beautiful, tranquil, picturesque, but so different from the life I was used to. And at that time, I didn't speak any English and I was sent to the local village school. So from a school with over a thousand pupils to a school with 100 pupils, all of whom did not speak, well, Chinese, but also nor did they look like me. So that was an interesting experience, I would say, because, you know, at that age, you don't see the language barrier as a barrier. Yeah, I thought the day before I was going to go to school, I thought I would be really isolated. And in a way I was because I couldn't communicate that well. But also it was really powerful when break time came around because, yes, in classes, I didn't understand a thing. And my mother had said to me, you know, there's only one sentence you need to know. You don't need to know anything else apart from this one sentence. So learn it well. And that sentence was can I go to the toilet, please? Ah. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Everything else was unimportant at this moment in time. But when break time came around, what I realized was games could connect us. The kids and I played tag and various other games. And turns out games are very similar in different countries. So they would explain the rules to me I didn't understand, but, you know, you can act it out and you get a feel for it. And once you start playing, it's fine. And that sort of created this bond and connection between me and my peers. And I think that also led to the reason why at Girls in Charge, we use gamification and games, because in a way, we're connecting people to something they don't know, which is entrepreneurial skills and entrepreneurship. And when you can build it into a language that we all understand and add a dash of laughter, a dash of connection, suddenly, you know, you have something fantastic there. Wow. So you you came to Yorkshire. I've been China, actually. I oh, absolutely really? love, yeah, Guangzhou. Been there Ooh. twice. I took my daughter there. Love China. We were going, we wanted to go every year, but then COVID happened, so it just didn't happen again. But we will be going back out again. But I just love the food. Like, yes. <laughs> I, I found that the there's a massive difference between Chinese in England, Chinese food in England, Chinese food in China. 
Yes. I, don't, I, I don't have a palette for the one in, in England, but in China, I'm like, give me, give me, give me, give me more. Give me that spice. Give me. Oh, yeah. Anyway, fabulous food. <laughs> now, you came into England, into Yorkshire. I'm surprised you don't you haven't picked up the Yorkshire accent. <laughs> I get told I've got a Yorkshire accent, funnily enough, and I'm based in Manchester. Now, how did you then grow grow up? So what I was going to ask you, you went into Yorkshire and you were a child and it was different. Now I've, you know, I, my mum moved me to a different, I remember not moved me, but moved me in terms of schooling to an area I didn't, wasn't a part of. And yes, I knew England, but I felt like I was kind of the only one. Mm. And I was told I was the only one because of the questions where are you from where are you from where are you really from but where are you really really from and I really felt you know in the school that I wasn't the, I didn't feel myself there so mm. I'm glad that you found something that kind of translates across different cultures which is gamification I never actually looked at it like the way you've just explained it and it's just brought like a fresh new perspective to what I do so thank you for that but tell me how then did you kind of navigate the school system from a person of color different you know with your difference I and mean with difficulty you today yeah <laughs> obviously you are extremely well you know you've achieved so much so tell us about that I think at the beginning as a child like you don't perceive it that way yes I was different but I think I didn't fully understand the magnitude of that difference at the time. There were massive cultural differences. And I think what that led to was a really strong sense of adaptability throughout my entire life. For example, in mm. China, we would go to school, we would sit at desks. You have to have great posture. It's very formal. And when I went to school in Yorkshire, what I discovered on the first day was there was this thing called circle time. And mm -hmm. kids would just sit on the floor and chill and chat and, you know, talk about show and tell things. And it, it was just an alien concept to me because we do not touch the floor in China. That's a no-go zone. You do not sit down there. Um, so for the first week, I would squat because... <laughs> part of my brain is saying we don't touch we don't touch the floor wow. but everyone around me was sitting down on the floor so I think what that early experience and all of these little things that happened at school taught me was there are different ways to doing things there are different perspectives and it is your job to go and see these different perspectives you may not agree I, to this day, still do not like sitting on the floor, but, yeah. but it is something that you should get to understand and then make your, make your choice, make your judgment, you know? So from that kind of, from eight years old upwards, that adaptability was trained into me, both through my own experiences and then through, I guess, looking back at those experiences and seeing oh, actually, that was really interesting. I wish I had made more of an effort at that point in time to, you know, learn more and understand more. Yeah, no, definitely agree. 
So then you've gone from schooling, made a big adaptation, and then there's a big gap from going from schooling to high school. How was high school? High school was chill, I would say. I think the difficulty there was Asian parents, British schooling. (laughs) 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 Because I, so for year seven, my parents went to parents' evening. By year eight, they were like, oh, your teachers just say nice things about you. There's no point going. (laughs) It's it's a complete waste of our time because there is no value add. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I don't think, I think other parents would be happy if teachers say nice things about their kids, but okay. By year nine, they'd gone to parents' evening and told my teachers that I needed pushing more. So the next day I went to school in English, I get handed a giant booklet of Shakespeare. Meanwhile, everyone else was doing like really fun things. And I'm like, why? What happened? Why am I, why am I doing this? And the English teachers, well, we heard that you would like to be challenged more. So, so that, that was, that was interesting, like an interesting tension, I guess. But I did end up doing a literature-based degree at undergrad and master's levels I guess it sort of worked it was in French but it but but the the foundation was there I would say amazing so you just mentioned something there just caught the cuff of it you speak French badly so badly I speak badly too I lived in France I did it I did French as part of my degree as well oh fabulous yeah I did a degree then did my master's but I did it in HR so I went to France to do human European HR that's so cool I did I learned I learned no French (laughs) I traveled around Europe I did learn but it was just so hard it was just you know I was already immersed in in France so I was getting a lot of it but uh, it's such a perfect language isn't it it's it's so lovely and I think it's just so difficult to keep it up once you don't have that environment I can read you know I can read it very fluently but if anyone's speaking to me it'll take me a good 20 minutes to adjust to that yeah, I think reading's really easy. Writing is quite well, writing actually, because then you've got to remember where <laughs> so maybe not writing. The reading's fine. My husband speaks French as well, but he doesn't speak it in the house, so that doesn't help me. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't speak it to any of our kids. So it's definitely something that I've got on my on my vision board, which is over there where I'm pointing. Yeah. And I really just want to to get back into that. Yeah. So it's good that you've you did a whole master's in French, or was it just a particular topic Uh, it was 19th century French literature it was very that's amazing you you just keep you just keep wowing me every time that (laughs) you like throw little things in here and then wait a minute let's stop (laughs) let's stop did you live in France then did you have to go there as part of your studies or do you have to learn it here I did the summer abroad but because I did so I did an integrated master's so it was very packed in I would like to, I think, live abroad, ideally like a long, you know, relaxing live abroad kind of experience Yeah, rather than the rushed, pressurized life. But we'll see, we'll see. That is also on the vision board far, far away. Yeah, we'll we'll get there together one day. day (laughs) We'll, We'll definitely do that. So you went on to you went through school it's interesting that you said about adaptability because I think 
as as women who are different we have to constantly adapt to the, the ways of the world for us to make mm-hmm. ourselves kind of fit in and some ways it's easy some way but a lot of the ways it's very 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 difficult because it's not our natural ways and if we've got different cultures it makes it very difficult to kind of to kind of code switch in in essence into into British society how did you kind of navigate that in I think it's it's a really interesting topic because on the one hand particularly through school you're being taught or you know in that environment to a certain extent you feel like you have to conform Mm. on the other hand what I realized kind of coming out into the real world was that embracing your uniqueness has certain merits as well so it's kind of a balancing act so on some things sometimes going with the status quo is much easier sometimes pushing hard on what you believe in embracing your uniqueness your cultural heritage the knowledge and the diversity of experience that you've curated throughout your life can actually make you stand out and I think that's the thing that is really difficult when you're young regardless of who you are you know high school is tough it's a place where you work out who you are but also you still have to fit in I think once you get through that you start building up your identity understanding who you are and who you want to be actually embracing that uniqueness becomes easier and easier a lady after my own heart that's exactly what I say embrace your own uniqueness and I think as well one of the things that I found is because I went to a school where I was amongst only a handful of children that look like me and because when you're young you absorb your environment that's just natural Mm -hmm. just as sponges that actually what I found is that it became just your norm like it became just yeah. my norm way way of learning I learned that way so for me it wasn't I wasn't shifting it actually set me up for the world of work and even though for others it's difficult because maybe they got brought up differently I had that as my norm but what I learned is that because I went to I didn't move to the nice area I just went to school there I learned that I had to be one way in school and a completely different way when I got back to my own hometown. Mm. So I completely had to learn how to code switch, it's switching. Mm. Because, you know, in one way I was told, if you, you know, in school, why, you know, back at home, it'd be like, why do you sound like a white girl? What do you mean? And then when I was at school, they're like, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, in Manchester, we go, in it, do star. <laughs> yeah. So I just understand what my point is, is that there's so many different ways of looking at it in the sense that, in one way, it helped us to help us advance and to be able mm. to do so. But in another way, it's that uniqueness. I always talk about it, you know, embracing that side of yourself that you do not want to change and ha- and just being saying, that's it. Like, I, I have a limit to who I am and this is it. Mm. And I'm not going to change that p- person for anyone. And I feel like that took me a long time. But I'm wondering for you, you've... You, you literally say the same words as me, like uniqueness, celebrate <laughs> your uniqueness, just be that person. Now, how do you continue as you grow through the world of work and do all the businesses that you're doing, continue just to celebrate you? I and think is. I think it's been interesting because I think if I'd gone into any other career path, 
that would be a lot more difficult. I think because I am running my own businesses, I am building them, curating them to exactly what I want them to be. I can choose the clients I work with if someone really, you know, whose values really don't align with mine we just go our separate ways but had I gone into finance as I really wanted to do when I was in like year year one year two of undergrad I think that would be completely different because in big corporates there is a certain understanding that you will fit in with whatever you know the corporate goals the corporate culture is so I think setting your own path is really important of course there are different ways to navigate through corporate life to build up your authentic self build up your kind of understanding of the world around you and understanding of yourself within that world whether you like that person or not but I think I had it the easy way (laughs) where I just built everything around me and it's it's been great (laughs) We were talking just before we we got we got on. We were talking about success. Now you are definitely a successful woman. Do you actually see yourself as a successful woman? I see success as something that we continually change the definition of. Yeah. I think if you asked me five years ago to look at me now, would you say I was successful? Probably, but if I'm now looking ahead to the next five years this is not where success lies I think success is always in the future (laughs) and in a way that is bad because you're not acknowledging all that you've achieved but also I like the fact that it fuels the motivation for the next five years as well no I absolutely love that I think for me like I'm pretty much the same like when people go wow you're so successful wow you've achieved this wow you've done that one of the things I found is that it wasn't that maybe I felt personally I think no one really feels success because success feels like it's a journey that is in the distance but what I felt like is that the responsibility for those who are trying to or trying to achieve what I have you know clearly achieved or what you've clearly achieved there was this bit that felt like there's a responsibility in that in itself because people were looking up to that status mm. looking up to saying you look like you look like you're a black woman you're you know you're an Asian woman and you've achieved all these great things and I want to achieve it too and the fact mm. that you're standing in those positions that was the responsibility and then I had to then look back and say you know when I'm 17 I couldn't have dreamt of the things I've been able to achieve, to be able to done or travel the world, that I've done everything I've ever wanted to do. Honestly, I didn't expect to have six children. I must admit that wasn't part of the plan, <laughs> but I do have six beautiful children. So my question, the reason why I'm saying that, my question is, I know that you have, you're, you're doing so many businesses in your, like, especially because you've got girls in charge, which is an amazing initiative you're already setting the status quo you're already saying this is what success looks like you already decided that when you did what you've done how are you going to what advice if you had five tips to give what would they be to achieve five. a level of success just five. Uh, that's quite yeah. a lot of tips <laughs> just to achieve even just even the just the level of success you have right now I know you're still journeying but just right now I think the first thing is to gather the people, right? If you're just alone, it's very hard. 
but if you have the right sort of people around you these can be a team these can be your support network these can be your champions you know mentors and also just at home who whoever you are living with make sure they're supportive of what you do because sometimes you just need that support sometimes it's not about what are you doing at work it's about okay let's do something to relax help me forget about work for a little bit (laughs) so that's tip number one you know people is always important and when you have the right people around you second tip still related to people it makes it helps when you know the sort of people you like because then when you come to chatting with clients when you come to working with collaborators you know how to get on with different types of people as well because I think in the age where AI is probably going to take out all the tasks the only thing AI can't do is that personal relationship right and you for you of every person I've ever met should know better probably Samantha is that humans you know HR human resources is so important and being able to navigate those relationships and you know just working with people is important so that is number two get to understand different personalities how do you navigate the world of work or collaboration with different people because at some point you're going to have to work with someone you don't particularly like but you have to also get that work done struggling yeah so that two have we got two so people know who your people are use use them in the right way yeah i will say (laughs) okay i'm going to stop at three i think (laughs) don't worry go for three i think also be mindful that your goals will change because that was something i didn't no at 21 I had a chat with a mentor and I'm like oh I just want like little lifestyle businesses you know it brings in the money I live comfortably there's no bigger thing that I have to work for I just want to be comfortable and free and that being comfortable and free is still part of what I enjoy what I want but also suddenly I think it was it happened in the past six months it's like that bigger thing I want it now and what I remember about that conversation was she literally said Maggie that's not gonna last your thoughts will change get back in touch when they do Uh, and you Uh know it's that aha moment recently where yeah she was right she really was right I I agree with that I think it's just so interesting. I remember when I was about 17 and I remember saying to myself, I'm going to be a businesswoman, a successful businesswoman. I am going to own my own consultancy. I remember saying I was going to have my own HR consultancy. I was going to be a motivational speaker. And I remember having all these dreams at 17 and then I got afraid. And then I said, right, I'm going to go into do a job like everybody else and went and did Mm. HR. And I actually had a dream that my dream was to be a global HR business partner and I achieved that dream. And then I left to be the person I said I was going to be when I was 17. And so one of the things that I've learned is that you may have a dream, but you were afraid to achieve that dream. Mm. And then you may come back full circle 
to realize what your original dream was like mm. this original dream this is the one that I prayed for this is the one that is really me it was just because of fear that held me back before it was just yeah. fear having a job that pays you every single month and you know there's someone that can tell you to go left or to go right or to go up or to go down and actually in your business like I'm sure you have businesses you know you're the only person that's telling you where to go is is you it's your yeah. inner dialogue how far you go is your inner dialogue you know the success that you're going to achieve is all going to be about part of your inner dialogue so I I don't know how you manage so many different businesses, do a PhD, have a social enterprise. That, that's a question. How are you doing it? People say that about me with six kids, but seriously, how? <laughs> no, I think six kids are harder than this. <laughs> you know what? I'm actually going to agree with that. <laughs> I think, I think businesses generally stick to plans a little bit better than children. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, start, you know, going into the startup world, was one because of interest or fascination at that time but two because I wanted that freedom and what I realized was these are my businesses I set the work schedule I can be busy if I want to but I can also choose not to be busy of course you're sacrificing you know potential income but it's a balancing act and you're the one balancing it these are completely your own choices so whether you feel happy or sad it was your own doing and I think that's that's one of the mechanisms I use in terms of looking at my schedule right if it's a really heavy day well I kind of did it to myself if I get a couple of weeks where I'm relaxing yeah I did I did well <laughs> <laughs> I love that now I'd love to continue to talk to you but what I want to do is leave that little edge because there's so much more that you are doing so I want people to take the time to go and find more about you where can we find you so I am most vocal I guess on LinkedIn having both of us being on the LinkedIn accelerator program I am also on Instagram but I don't use it very much it's very much the kind of personal social life side of me whereas LinkedIn is a lot more business focus and you know what what LinkedIn was made for so those are probably the two best places to find me both Maggie Z Chen so should be relatively easy and look up look, basically look up girls in charge <laughs> we'll put all the links down below anyway so do look out for those links go and click on them go and follow whatever she is i'm going to follow you everywhere now she was <laughs> and engaging but the most important thing is continue to be inspired i want to just say thank you so much for coming on today i have been just i'm just simply in awe like seriously just in awe you were amazing you are definitely successful to so many people who are going to be listening in definitely successful to me continue to shine and I'm really looking forward to the rest of your journey and we'll have to invite you back on <laughs> see how many businesses you have now maybe 10 by then <laughs> and where you've taken them but I just want to say thank you very much please do listen out for those who are listening do remember to subscribe Get your notifications on so you can listen to the next podcasts coming out for Superwomen That Can. Superwomen Can? Superwomen That Can. Yeah, that's right. But it's Superwomen Can podcast. And I look forward to inviting you all back again for the next 
episode. Thank you so much, 